Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here. Now, if you're coming in, go ahead and find a seat. We're going to begin with Exodus 14, 14 as our call to worship this morning. Before we sing and we celebrate who God is and what he has done, let's uh, be encouraged by his word. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That message to the Israelites is a message to us as well. So this morning, I'm gonna give us just a moment to lay all of our cares and our anxieties on God and trust the battle belongs to him. Just take a moment to do that and we'll sing and celebrate. Nothing 
with you all this morning after a few weekends off I've been setting out there with you and being led in worship by our team here at fellowship and I can't say how good it is to be back up here singing with you all and praising the name of the Lord welcome welcome to fellowship Bible Church if it's your first time here we would love to get to know you and this is the part of the service where we kind of share hey what's going on here at fellowship so if you scan this QR code or if you go to our website, fellowshiprogers.org slash news, you'll find all of the announcements that I'm about to share. But we wanna welcome you here to Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, first thing, uh, Merge is our premarital experience. It's a ministry here for premarital counseling. And so it starts up July 11th. And here's my quick PSA for Merge. It's really good to have premarital counseling from someone who's been married before. And there's a story behind that. My wife and I had premarital counseling from someone who wasn't, who's never been married. And so there's more to that story, but I'll save it for later. So Merge, it's a great opportunity to hear a teaching about what biblical marriage looks like, and then you'll be sitting at a table where there will be a married couple, someone who's been walking the road faithfully for years who can pour into you and answer questions and just help you walk through either an engagement or you're seriously dating. We'd love you to check out Merge. It starts July 11th, and so if you're interested in that or you know someone who is, if you could email Jordan Price, or I'm sure there's links on our website, you can check it out there. Another thing is Samaritan Community Center. Can you believe that August is not too far away? School's about to start. One of the ways we can link arms and serve our community is by bringing school supplies. So starting July 11th, there will be some bins in the foyer, and uh, they're asking for notebook paper and colored pencils. So if you would, if you'd go buy some of those and bring them here, drop them off, um, Samaritan Community Center Backpack Drive be a great way to serve our community. Uh, another thing, Seth stood up here a few weeks ago and shared um, about fellowship worship. Well, one of our projects has 
launched out into the world and our next project will release July 2nd. And so just wanted to mention that again, make you aware of it. Uh, we finally recorded some of the songs that were written here that we've been singing over the past two, three years. And we just pray that it blesses you and encourages you. Um, last thing, we're so glad to be here to worship shoulder to shoulder. And the language you've probably been hearing since we've been back is worshiping shoulder to shoulder, being in community face to face. And the one thing you're gonna be hearing more of is being arm in arm as we be the hands and feet of Christ in the local church, serving others around us. And one of the ways we do that is through volunteer opportunities. You may be sitting in the seat thinking, this is a large church, they've got everything they need, but I just wanna say, hey, there's a lot going on here and we love to have volunteers be a part of what we're doing. Because if you, as you heard a few weeks ago, uh, we are a church that believes in the priesthood of the believer, every member ministry. And so we want you to be in a place of service where God has called you to. And I just wanna say, there's a lot of opportunities. So if you go to our website, there's a form you can kind of fill out, hey, this is what I feel called to, here's what I'm skilled in. And uh, someone will reach out to you about getting involved somewhere here. And um, I'll just give you a little picture uh, of what it looks like for a Sunday morning in here to happen. Uh, there's like 50 volunteers on some level, whether it's communion team, bab baptism team, hospitality team, ushers, musicians, uh, vocalists, tech, live stream, all this. And so it takes uh, a lot of volunteers to serve faithfully uh, for us to come here and to share this time together so if you're interested in any, any of that, anything else, you can reach out uh, via the website or you can come talk to me after the service. Would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, we're, we're gonna have a time of prayer before we continue in our service together this morning. And many of you have probably heard of um, the passing of Kevin Apple from Pea Ridge. He was a police officer there and the tragedy that took place yesterday. So we're gonna lift up his family this morning in prayer and we're gonna pray for the rest of our time together. So would you bow with me? Father, we come with heavy hearts, um, just praying and lifting up the Apple family to you during their time of grief. We pray that your presence would be near. God, that you would comfort the brokenhearted and that you would help the church come around them to lift them up in prayer and to fulfill any needs that they would have. So God, pray for your nearness. And God, as we approach your word this morning, we see that you're calling us to draw near to you. You're calling us to hold fast to your promises, to your goodness. You're calling us to spur on one another in love and good deeds. You're calling us to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so would you fill us up this morning? God, would you remind us of your goodness, your grace and your faithfulness? So may this time be a time of rest in all of your truth. And would you give us the grace and the strength we need to face the world in front of us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? We sing of his faithfulness.
good to rest in his promises this morning. We have one more song that we're gonna sing and this is where I would have grabbed my Bible if I would have not left it backstage. So luckily we have Bibles on our phones too now. But our call to worship this morning is gonna be from Hebrews chapter 10. And Sam is gonna start teaching in verse 19. And so we're gonna read the passage of scripture before the passage that Sam is gonna be teaching from this morning. And I want us to fix our eyes on Christ's sacrifice, his once for all sacrifice that he paid for us and his victory over sin and death. So hear the word of the Lord from the message this morning. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. He concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. Christ, the perfect sacrifice. Just rest in that truth this morning. Before we sing, just take a moment in your own heart to say thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. The perfect man, perfect God perfect sacrifice to perfect some very imperfect people. Now let's sing of what he's done and continue to worship him. Praise his name.
We praise you for your victory. And God, we wait for your return. But until that day, may we hold fast. May we persevere. God, may we encourage one another with your word and with our lives. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. We've been studying this New Testament letter. You might even consider it a sermon all day long. And today we come to the turning point of the book. We will see a decisive change take place in the letter. There will be a change of direction as the author moves from explanation to application. He will move in the theme of his content from creed to conduct. He'll move from doctrine to practice. The 10 chapters of Christological content will now give way to three chapters on Christian living. And the turning point of the book begins with a transitional word. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Look at that first word, therefore. In Bible study, when we see the word Therefore, we pause and we investigate what the therefore is there for. And normally it is a link to what precedes it immediately. Like verse 19 would be linked to verse 18. And that's true in this case, but this is actually a huge therefore. This therefore is a transition from chapters 1 through 10 verse 18 and chapters 10 verse 19 through the rest of the book. This, therefore, is a door hinge in the the whole book. It is giving us a transition between the doctrinal side of the book, which focuses on the work and the person of Jesus, and the application section of where we learn to put our faith in Jesus in action. The first part of the book was about what we believe about Jesus, The second part of the book is how to live out that faith in Jesus. So up to this point, the book of Hebrews has been proclaiming the superiority of Jesus as the one and only access point to God. It proclaims Jesus as superior to angels, superior to Moses, superior to the temple system of the Old Testament, superior to the priestly system, superior to the Old Covenant. It shows Jesus, the Son of God, sacrificed on the cross for a new and better way to be restored to right relationship with God. For nine plus chapters, the letter has explained and proven this point. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our sacrificial atonement. He is our mediator between sinful man, that's us. We've all messed up. We've all gone our own way and a holy God. And look at the language of these first three verses. It's beautiful. It's even poetic. It is a summary description of what Jesus has done for us. It says, we have confidence to enter 
the most holy place. We have confidence to actually enter in to the very presence of the living and holy God. How? By the blood of Jesus. Not by our own religious actions, not by our our family name or heritage, not by our bank account, not by our nationality, but by the blood of Jesus. This is a new way, surpassing the old, and it's a living way. Jesus is not just the crucified Savior. He's the resurrected Savior. He is the pathway to peace with God, and it describes him as a curtain. Jesus is the entry point. He's where we pass through. He's the gate. He's the door where we enter into fellowship with God. It's through his body, through his life and his death that we can be restored back to God. He's our great high priest. He's our advocate. He's our go-between. These are beautiful words, but there's a powerful picture in that curtain The passage mentions this curtain, which is a reference to the Old Testament temple. In the Old Testament temple, there was a a curtain which set apart the most sacred place. It was called the Holy of Holies. And in the sacred place, the very presence of God dwelled. And no one could go past that curtain except the high priest. And the high priest could only go past that curtain on one day of the year, with much holy fear and trepidation. Yet this passage is saying that not just the high priests, and not in fear and trepidation, that all of us, the church, the body of believers who have faith in Christ, can enter that holy place, that holy of holies, into the very presence of God with confidence. Christ's death has removed all barriers between us and the Father. The curtain has been torn. This is a reference to Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. Verse 50 says that on the cross, Jesus died. He breathed his last breath and gave up his spirit. The next verse says, and the temple curtain was torn in two. We enter into the presence of God, into relationship and intimacy with the Father through the torn body of Jesus. He is the entry to intimacy with God. Therefore, therefore, because of the work of our priestly advocate, Jesus, we have confidence to access God freely. This is the doctrine of Hebrews chapter 1 through Hebrews chapter 10 verse 21. So what do we do with this theological knowledge? Well, that's what comes next. The author begins a new section of the letter today, and it begins in verse 22. He gives the practical outcomes or responses to this theology. So if you've been studying Hebrews with us this summer, and you have felt that this was very heady, that it was very doctrinal, um, very weighted towards doctrine, and you've been like, man, just tell me something to do. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm about to preach at you. I'm going to tell you some responses that you can have to Christ being our high priest. Let's take a look at it. It all comes down to this. Let us. 
The passage delivers the application in three let us statements. Take a look. It says, let us draw near to God. Sorry, I didn't get to preach on Father's Day. I got all my dad jokes stored up. (laughs) Y'all are just gonna have to endure today. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In response to the redemptive work of Jesus, our great high priest, in reaction to this access that we have to the Father through the Son, the passage offers us three let us exhortations. In fact, the book of Hebrews has 12 of these let us statements. And we have three of them in our passage today. So these are three challenges. These are three practical applications in how to live out our faith. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess. And verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another onward toward love and good deeds. So we'll take each one of them this morning and consider it and then try to apply it to our lives Let's look at the first one, verse 22. Let us pursue intimacy with God. It says, let us draw near to God. I think we could stop right there if we wanted to. What a great challenge. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because we have Uh, unlimited and, and full access to God by grace through faith in Jesus. Let us take advantage of it. We should build an intimate friendship with him, or as the passage says, draw near to God. And we know that the scriptures promise us in James chapter four, verse eight, if we draw near to God, he will what? Draw near to us. I can think of no greater privilege than this. We have the opportunity to have an intimate friendship with the Almighty, with the sustainer of life, with the author of salvation. We have a backstage pass to hang out with the one who made the walls fall at Jericho, who healed the sick on the streets of Capernaum, who parted the Red Sea, who raised Jesus from the grave. Does it get any better than that? I can't think of any human experience on this earth that would surpass communing with the all-powerful, eternal, living God. The mere thought of having access to a relationship with our creator should send chills up your spine. It should make the hairs on the, neck, on your, on the back of your neck stand up. It should take us to a level of excitement that we cannot contain. We get to have a meet and greet anytime we want, for as long as we want, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you ever crossed paths with someone who's a celebrity? Have you ever gotten to take a selfie with someone who's famous that you admired? 
Can you remember how excited you were to take that picture, to have that moment of brief conversation with them? Maybe they signed an autograph or whatnot. When my oldest son, Luke, was in ninth grade, he became an NBA fan. I'm not sure how it happened. It's one of my greatest parenting failures. But he, yeah, I've never watched the NBA, but he started watching the NBA and then he became a Knicks fan, which from what I understand is not great either. And then he became a Carmelo Anthony fan. So, you know, Christmas, ninth grade year, Luke gets a Knicks hat, a mellow jersey, and we got him tickets to go see the New York Knicks play the Oklahoma City Thunder over in OKC. So he got to choose some buddies. We loaded up the Suburban, drove him over. We got there pretty early. We were gonna dine in, in Bricktown and walk over to the arena. And as we were looking around for a parking lot to park, we saw a bus in front of a hotel and a crowd gathered. And I thought, no way. I wonder if that's the Knicks. And we pull up. We're like 20 feet and out walks Tyson Chandler, seven foot tall, Tyson Chandler. And then Amari Stoudemire. And then guess who walked out? Mello. And these ninth grade boys lost their minds. They started shrieking in tones that were so high that only dogs could, could hear. And we rolled down the windows. They all had their cell phones out trying to, to take pictures. And it was, it was unbelievable. Four weeks ago, I took both boys. We went on a trip and we were basing in Oklahoma City and we were staying at a downtown hotel. And we drove by that spot and Luke said, Dad, that's where I saw Mello." And still to this day, he gets excited at even the thought of having seen Carmelo Anthony. That spot in OKC is hallowed ground for him. Back to the passage. Think about this with me. Think about what the passage is saying. That we have full and unlimited and unconditional access, not to a ball player not to a musician, not to an actor or a politician, but to the creator of the universe. We get to spend time with, to have friendship with, to have intimacy with the almighty God, the rock of ages, the alpha and the omega. This is a privilege. It's an honor. It's of infinite value and worth. And the most humbling thing is, not only is he the all-powerful creator, but he knows your name. He cares about what's on your heart. And he died for your soul. What a privilege to meet with the living God. So do you pursue him? Do you block out time for him? Do you take advantage of this access that was purchased by the great high priest Jesus or do you ignore him? Do you put him in second place? Do you neglect him? The passage says really simply, let us draw near to God. And when we do, the passage says to do so with a sincere heart, with a, a genuine heart, with a whole heart with no pretense, no pretending, no hiding, no hypocrisy, we approach our relationship with God with confidence, with assurance based on our faith in his person and work. 
So we come to him, not guilty and condemned, not ashamed, but clean and forgiven by grace, through faith in Christ. Our hearts have been sprinkled by his blood. Our bodies have been washed by the waters of baptism. So when we come to God, we come knowing that we will be received as his beloved child, like a father would welcome in his son or daughter. So the passage says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. So let us pursue intimacy. Second let us statement is, let us pursue perseverance in the faith. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. As followers of Christ, we are people of hope. We live with the expectation that we have a sure and certain future. We have confidence that we know how this story ends. We have the hope of forgiveness. We have the promise of heaven. We believe that Jesus came to restore us back to God and that he'll come again to rescue his church, to judge the sin of the world, to usher in the eternal state. He has promised, he is able, and he will be faithful to do it. So let us cling to hope and to the promises of God. I love the word the passage uses, let us hold unswervingly to hope. Have you ever seen that word or, or used that word? It means to, to hold tightly without deviating, without turning away, without being distracted. We resolutely hold fast without diversion or compromise. This is a call to persevere in the faith over the long haul. It's a, a call to cling and never let go to the promises of God. And why would we cling to the promises of God? Well, it's right there in the passage. Because they're true and because he is faithful that they will come to be. Verse 22 says, for he who promised is faithful. Hope is not something that we wish for. It's something we wait for. Our hope in Jesus is not like a lottery ticket that we hope the number comes through. It's more like an inheritance that is signed and sealed in a court of law. So we cling to it. We hold fast to it like an anchor. We hold unswervingly to our hope. And know this, your grip on hope will be tested. It will be tried by temptations and pressures and uncertainties. There will be tension brought to your commitment to following Jesus faithfully. I've been in ministry for 27 years and I've watched it time and time again happen. I've observed people being tested in their faith and I've had my faith tested. Whether it's at the hospital or the funeral home or the courthouse or the counseling office. And I've seen some faithful saints hold unswervingly to their faith in the promises of God. And I've seen some buckle under the pressure and be consumed by the, the weight of sin and temptation and doubt and tragedy. So I would say this call to perseverance is needed because fewer finish the race than start it. And faithfulness to the end is more rare than it is common. Let me ask you this. Do you have a game plan 
for finishing well in the faith? You know, you have game plans for other things. You might have a game plan for your kid's college fund. You might have a game plan for your your retirement account. You may have a, a game plan for your career. You can see the road that you want to travel. Do you have a game plan for persevering in the faith? Have you ever thought about it? I don't think perseverance is something we stumble onto. I think it's something we intentionally pursue. Well, we have one more let us exhortation. So let us pursue intimacy with God. Let us persevere in the faith. And then lastly, let us encourage one another. These are verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Look at the imagery in the passage. It says, let us spur one another on. You know, it's rodeo week in Springdale. Can you smell it? (laughs) For those of us who live in Springdale, we understand what a spur is. It's something that you um, use in the side of a horse to call it forward, to prod it, to move faster. Let us spur who? One another on toward love and good deeds. Let us prod one another. Let us provoke one another. Let us stir each other up to be obedient to God, to loving one another, to living out our faith. You know, one part of living in the context of Christian community, the church, is the nurture aspect. We are to care for each other well. That's a lot of prayer lists and casserole dishes. But we're also to propel each other forward in the faith. We're to push one another to be more godly. We're to prompt one another, to remind one another, to inspire one another, to motivate one another, to irritate one another towards loving God more and more and loving his people well. And look at verse 25. It's going to give a real practical and timely application for these Hebrew readers of this New Testament letter. He says, continue gathering together. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, why would these first century Hebrew believers give up meeting together? Well, there was persecution. And so it might've gone like this. If I continue to go to that meeting, that worship service, that home group, and others in this town see me associating with them and they're being persecuted, I might be persecuted. So some gave up on gathering together. Others might have given up because they went back to Judaism. This whole book has been written to show the superiority of Jesus to the the priestly system, the temple system, the old covenant. And so this was calling upon the believers in the reading of this letter to not give up assembling together, but to continue to express their faith together, not in isolation. Now the text calls for a return to an essential element of the faith, assembling, gathering, worshiping. It's not merely a call to be better church attenders. It's a command to regularly and persistently encourage and equip one another to authentically follow Christ. 
And the author adds, this should increase all the more as that day, capital D, approaches. This is a reference to the return of Jesus. And not only was this a, a great and relevant application for the Hebrews who read this letter, but it's eerily relevant for us today. We should not give up meeting together. Now brace yourselves, I'm about to preach. You know, over the last 15 months, meeting together has been a challenge. In fact, we did not gather in this room from mid-March till August of last year. And I'm very thankful for our technology team who got our cameras and live stream up and running so that we could deliver content and continue to be the church even when we were scattered around Northwest Arkansas. But we've reopened and we're operating at full capacity with no restrictions, yet some haven't returned. So this passage is very challenging when it comes to considering the act of regularly gathering with your fellow believers in the church. I'll give you three categories to describe those who have not returned. First, there are those who cannot meet together. Maybe you or someone in your home have an immune deficiency and your doctor has advised you not to be around crowds, not to go to the church or the movie theater, or the beach or the grocery store. They're all off limits. Or maybe you're traveling and you're not near fellowship, whether for work or vacation, or maybe you even live across the country for part of the year. The live stream is for this group of people. What a beautiful fruit of the pandemic that we can deliver a connection point, a worship experience for those who cannot gather together. This is the purpose and the primary audience of our live stream, and we're grateful to bless those who are joining us. In fact, we have people watching from Europe. We have people watching from Houston, people watching from Georgia. We get responses all the time. It's a cool deal. Second group of people are those who do not meet together. This is the person or couple or family who's not attending worship or small group out of preference. The pandemic brought a disruption to their spiritual habits and they haven't returned to their previous form. The live stream for them is not a rescue point. It's not a stop gap. It's just their chosen norm. It's not a medical decision or a travel decision, but a convenience decision. As a consumer, this person has developed some church apathy. They have discovered a PJ preference, a fondness for waffles and worship. They're not necessarily concerned about their health. They've been to the beach. They saw Chicago with the amp last week. They're shopping and eating out in restaurants. They've attended the Razorback Regional and weddings, but they haven't come back to church. They've moved church from essential to optional. I just want you to know I can relate. I love my couch. I love my gym shorts. I have a special pair of wool socks I wear to keep my feet warm because Amy has hot flashes and keeps the air conditioner on 67 it's very expensive. <laughs> I can relate. I like watching Mark Schatzman preach while I eat biscuits and gravy. I had a friend tell me it's so nice. I don't have to get dressed up as if we dress up. I don't have to fight the parking crowds and go through the hustle and bustle of the Sunday scramble. I just want you to know I understand. 
How many of you would confess with me that you have taken a Sunday and stayed home and watched the live stream out of convenience? Who would confess? Remember, you're in the holy place. (laughs) Fear and trepidation. I think we can relate. The problem is it's just not what the Bible says. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting, how? Together. The scripture calls the church to assemble. It's not calling us to keep up with content like a Netflix series. It's believing and living and proclaiming and affirming the faith together. The church assembles. John Wesley said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. 12 different times in Hebrews, it uses the phrase, let us. It's a together thing. We don't do church alone, and it's hard to do behind a screen. We can't be the church if we're isolated from one another, and this passage speaks to that truth. Scriptures say, where two or more gather together in my name, I will be there also. Can I be really transparent with you guys? I'm actually a little worried about this one, not just for our church, but for the church globally. While I celebrate our technology and our live stream capabilities, especially to bless our shut-ins, our immunocompromised, our out-of-towners, I wonder if we haven't created a monster. And on my worst day, I wanna sneak in here with camo makeup and my pellet gun and shoot the cameras out. So if I disappear, no, I did that, and they've taken me away. (laughs) We can't be the church alone. And I think the Lord has some wisdom for us in this passage. I think there's something special about gathering publicly, assembling in the name of Jesus, declaring the praises of God together, proclaiming our Faith, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, communing with God and other believers to pray, to witness a baptism, to partake in the Lord's Supper, to bring an offering to the house of the Lord. And you can't experience that alone. This is a special place. A couple of weeks ago, Amy and I were offered tickets to go see the Razorbacks play in the baseball regional. And my first reaction was to say, no, thank you. I have convinced myself that I like watching the Razorbacks from home on my big HD TV and my gym shorts with my wool socks and access to my own food and grill and all that kind of thing. But I decided to to take the tickets and they were fifth row home plate. Yeah, I know, pretty big deal. (laughs) And I want to tell you, I was dead wrong. We could hear the pitch hit the mitt. We stood in unison with 12,000 rednecks and (laughs) called. I don't know where these people come from, but they do come to bomb. We, We called the hogs together. We booed the umpire when pitches were obviously balls. And after the game, Amy and I walked a half mile back to our car. And I thought she might complain a little bit. And we were walking. We said, nope, we're dead wrong. We shouldn't have stayed away from the Razorback games during football season last year or basketball season. This is so fun. There's just something about assembling together, affirming together, proclaiming together. 
But there's one more category, and that's those who will not meet together. And this one breaks my heart. There are those who had their church rhythm disrupted and removed by the pandemic or other things, and they don't miss it. Their habit of weekly worship and small group attendance was eliminated, and they don't plan to return. It's not just optional, it's now irrelevant, and that should be a matter of prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's interesting that this passage has crossed our paths at this juncture in time because I think it's a very relevant message. And I think it's a call to our church and the church globally to come together. Here's the language I would use. Shoulder to shoulder in worship where we proclaim the praises of God. We bring our offerings. We observe the sacraments. Face to face in small group or in Sunday school where we know each other's names and we hear each other's needs and we can minister to one another. And then arm in arm, serving the Lord. We are on mission. This is not a place to come and be entertained. It's a place to come and serve the Lord. So this will be our goal to be the church Bible commentator Kent Hughes said this in his book on Hebrews. He said, it's true. A person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He does not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. It's essential that we live out our faith together, that we worship together, we grow together, we learn together, we serve together. The faith was meant to be expressed in the context of a family setting. In the context of community, following Jesus is a team sport. The text says, do not give up meeting together. Now think about the three challenges of the passage. Draw near, hold unswervingly, and spur on. Let's bring it all together in this summary statement. Let us pursue intimacy with God and his people. Let us passionately pursue communing with the Lord and loving his church. Let us persistently pursue fulfilling the great commandment to love God and love others. Let us never give up on our relationship with Jesus or his people. So what would that look like for you? I promised you earlier that I was going to get really, really practical today. I want to close with three challenges, and each will involve a number Let's start with the number 35. There are four days left in June, 31 days in August, and that equals what, math majors? 35 days kind of left in our lazy summer. I want to challenge you to draw near to God for the next 35 days. To meet with the Almighty every day. Well, what would that look like? Set an appointment with him. You might even try a consistent time and a consistent place where you read the scriptures. We have Hebrews journals available online where you spend some time in prayer, maybe some time in confession and spend some time contemplating how to live out obedience to him that day. 35 days. Second number is 50. I want to challenge you to begin to think through what it would take for you to live out your faith 
for the next 50 years persevering. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I don't have 50 more years. We know. I just wanted you to feel good about yourself. <laughs> just go ahead and plan for 50. Maybe you'll live to 130. Who knows? What would it take? What would it take for you to look Jesus in the eyes at the end of your life and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Take one of those 35 devotions and ask the Lord to lay on your heart. What's it gonna take for you to finish well? Fewer finish the race than start the race. And then lastly, the number three, commit persistently to three actions here at fellowship. Shoulder to shoulder in worship. It's not optional, it's essential. Face to face in small group. Maybe you got lost in the wash of the pandemic time and you've developed some inconsistency with your community group, your small group, your men, your women. It's time to re-engage and we'll be coming with that strong in next month. And then lastly, arm in arm, serving the Lord. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And it's gonna take all of us to change the heart and the soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. And I don't know if you've heard, people are moving here in droves. They're buying your houses for exorbitant amounts of money. And we wanna be here welcoming them with open arms, don't we? To introduce them to Jesus. So we need to serve arm in arm. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this challenging passage from the book of Hebrews. I pray that by your spirit, you would grab our hearts today and give us a way to live this one out. Lord, we want to draw near to you. Show us what that looks like. Meet us in our times of worship this week. Lord, we want to persevere in the faith. We don't want to be a statistic of those who've left you. Show us what that looks like. And Lord, we want to serve using your gifts that you've given us to make a difference. So Lord, help us to live it out. And we pray that you will get all the glory and all the credit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing this song of surrender together. I'll stand with arms
thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your love for us. God, we, we stand in awe of your love, your love that casts out all fear. And we remember your sacrifice and your victory over sin and death. And we thank you for your spirit that you've given to us to empower us to walk and obedience. So God, may you fill us. Thank you for your word this morning. As we leave this place, would we be lights to a dark world? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, we have the lays in the prayer room, Steve and Barbie. They'd love to pray with you, for you. Go in peace this week in the love of Christ.